Germany and beyond. First, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. Elementary, my dear Watson. What's in the box? Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But why male models? Why so serious? I am serious. Now, don't call me sure. Well, nobody's perfect. Go ahead. Make my day. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin, traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. Welcome everybody to Culture. I am Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. We are joined once again by the amazing Dave Lees. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And we are talking this episode, we are doing Appealing Onions, we're talking about children's films or children's films from literature, to be specific. Yes, so children's books to film, yes. So we're not talking about films that have been created as a kid's film straight out. So Pixar obviously have a lot of original children's films, but don't actually... They're disqualified from this. Yes, they are. (laughs) So uh, So, uh, I started with a question on this, which is uh, what what's the essential elements of a, a kid's film? Because really, that's probably sitting in the literature as well. So it answers both. What's essential to children's literature and children's films? I'm not sure. Dave, you might be the expert on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an opinion, but don't forget, that's fine. But yeah, uh, what would you say is essential? Oh, you've got to have good child actors. Yeah. Um, that that can make or break a film, can't it? The wrong actor. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love a great villain in a child's film. I think our children's films really um, work when the villains are, uh, get the great material. Um, and it's kind of putting it negatively, but I, I, I love it when a kid's film that never feels like it's condescending to you or winking above you to another audience, that it's just playing it straight. Um, that, to me, is um, a great kid's film. Um, no condescension, just um, just committing, committing to it. Never, you never, you know. I don't want any kids film. I never, never want to feel like the director's stooping to, to, to you know, yeah, to the audience, I know or, 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 yep. or, 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 you know, or like, oh well, this is pretty simple, but I'll, I'll make it charming for you. No, I want, I want to feel like the director and the writer and everyone there is like, no, this story is just as serious now, um, and just is just as meaningful now to me at my age as it would have been when I was a kid. Like it, it yeah. So. Yeah, they're they're my qualities of a great kids' films. Yeah, no, that's a good point because it does come across sometimes a lot of kids' films where it's almost patronising 
in some ways and the way that the characters are treated as children in the films and uh also the audience as such so yeah i think that's a great point uh from my view on it i've always considered this celebration of childhood and what childhood is being the essential part and that's sort of like a fantastical wide-eyed sense of wonder and it's there is no bounds improbabilities nothing's impossible mm. and mm. it's not part of that vocabulary it's not if anything and a lot of those traditional stories are saying you know don't limit yourself don't just do what's expected and things so it's uh, one of those aspects that i really do think is important to capture anyway in terms of the films and the literature uh so my base point was the concept of Alice in Wonderland because Wonderland, by definition, is that sense of wonder and imagination. And we know that uh, Alice in Wonderland is one of those quintessential kids' books that, I guess, display a lot of the things we expect from at least the fantastical children's literature, but more than maybe some, there's a bit of realism in some as well, but the fantastical aspects. Yeah, because kids, kids literature is free, and that's that is one of the great qualities of it. That's right. Like you know, your audience will just buy buy into it. They're not they're not worried about suspension of disbelief. That that doesn't occur to them as an issue. Um, and so you feel, you're right. Like if a film throws away that strength, what a kids film throws away that strength, why would it? Why should it? Um, and you're right. Alice in Wonderland is just wonderful for that, isn't it? Um, and mm. yeah, we can talk about how the movies may or may not be successful in translating that. Oh, we'll get to those. <laughs> we will get to those, that's for sure. Uh, how about you, Scott or Monica? Yeah, I um, I admittedly struggled with this topic a little bit um, and because growing up I didn't read a lot of children's books, really. I was just sort of treated like a tiny adult. And um, so for me, I guess there's not much of a difference in what makes a good children's film or book than what makes a good film for adults. You know, I think there has to be really compelling characters and you know villains are important as david said and you have to have a good narrative structure to be able to tell a story in an effective way um with kids films i do wonder how um the impact of the rating system has changed the way that kids films specifically have changed over the years um what was considered maybe a g rating back in say the 1980s would be considered maybe a pg-13 or even pushing an m rating now so i am interested to see how that kind of impacts the way children's stories are told over time yeah well that's a, that's a whole other discussion yeah. i think it, it probably is but it is something that sort of was scratching at the back of my mind a little bit like for example for a kids movie um or at least it was considered a kids movie in my house i watched two friends roger rabbit as a kid uh, for me um film ratings i think certainly has an impact on how children's films are definitely made and also sold um to audiences today um i think it's very different to how it would have been done 10 20 years ago uh, i i think it certainly impacts on how we look at films now for yeah. children's films and it's sort of fallen into this case that children's books were written for children yeah. and these days children's films tend to be under the guise of family films so there's these other layers that for some reason needs to be thrown in there for the adults and i think that's yeah. subverting a lot of it 
in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, it loses that sort of innocence quite quickly. Well, I think that's why it Shrek that sort of stands apart because it's not, a, I think, not a purely for children film. There's a lot of humour and um, mm. no. subtext going on that is a bit uh, uh, way more adult <laughs> than uh, your general sort of children's film from Law Fardquad having an erection to you know, some of the other stuff that goes on in Shrek. So I, I think, um, yeah, a, a children's film should have an element of, I guess, innocence, but not be hard to watch. <laughs> that's a really that's good point. I... Yeah. I think with, um, for example, films now, I guess, branded as family films are there because that yours, I think companies have realized they need to entertain the adults that are also taking their kids to the cinema. Um, whereas children's films as more traditional, innocent ones that we see, they're, usually films that adults have seen when they were children and then they're passing it on to their own children. So it, there's that retainment of that innocent quality there. And that's not yeah, something you're, that you're, you're hanging on to the nostalgia on. as an adult rather than enjoying it. But, I mean, there are great yeah. children's films that you can definitely enjoy as an adult. Oh, of course there are. Yeah, and that's I probably mean, the hard thing to, to um, hit. Yeah, you have to sort um, of consider different kinds of audiences that would mm. also find children's films appealing yeah yeah unfortunately to me that just smacks of economics more than anything yeah. that's really that it positive um because Which really, is a shame, as i'm saying that's it is the industry it, it's a massive shame because really children are a legitimate audience and it's great that they get their own stories and things that appeal to them directly and is devoted to them and i mm. believe the ones that stand out and last are those sorts of books and films because they are the audience. That's what they're meant to be. So yeah, yeah. And I generally I like a good lesson, but I like not a shallow lesson. Would probably be my biggest uh, like what I want out of a kid's film. So I, I hate the like pandering, like just be good to your friends. That doesn't need to be said so overtly for me, for, even for a child. Like children aren't dumb. <laughs> Like, and I feel like they get treated as such by a lot of these sort of like rubbish kid shows that are on TV and things. Like yeah. the lesson can be subtle and still be understood. And and it's when the lesson is set up like something like Zootopia, like you feel like it is set up in the first scene. Like, yeah. And it's like it's just such a pedagogical sort of take, isn't it? Like, oh, we ha okay, I know what we're going to have to do. She's going to have to work out about identity and roles and bullying and, uh, and prejudice and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's still no, a good film, but you're right, the lesson is so long. But that comes down to what you said earlier, Dave, in terms of not being patronising, not, not sort of talking down to people as if they wouldn't understand in the first place. And making that the goal, I think, also can yeah. be problematic. It's a case of you have a good story to tell which appeals to children as an audience you tell the story and if there is themes and things that come out of it they just happen to be there to be honest it's yeah. not not thought it's, ahead it's not the end in itself no just to educate like no who wants to sit down and be educated like kids want to be entertained just like adults do <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i think one of the most successful children's books that sort of hit that happy medium would be um the little prince whereas it's specifically a book where um children are able to point things out because that's exactly how they see it because it's logical to them so for example there's an illustration in there with um an image that looks like a, a hat and um 
you know, um, when they asked the children who were reading the book, they said, what do you think that is? And it's just like, well, no, um, obviously a snake has swallowed an animal which creates the shape. And that makes sense. And that's how they go with it. They are clearly thinking about how a child perceives things and how it's it makes a lot of common sense to them. And I think that's really important to um, keep in those sorts of stories. Mm. Um, Where the Wild Things Are is one of the ones that I still remember from my childhood as being quite potent as a visual narrative for being a kid. And it was that sort of, you know, trying to escape the pressures of, you know, whether growing up and being responsible and so on leads you into traveling out where the wild things are as Max and hmm. uh, then coming back and it's sort of all his bedroom is the actual island and it's the imagination where it went. And to me, that's a really good example. And interestingly, they made it into a film, such a short book. I, I like it as a film because it's unusual, but it's not a representation of the book. And that's where it Well, fails. let's, so let's, sort of, let's, while we're there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it fails in a few, a yeah, few ways. Yeah, yeah. We are talking yeah. about our top five children's films. So let's all keep Oh, have you got so. that as your top? As in one of my ones, absolutely. Well, we'll, uh, we'll come back to it then. I won't talk about it too much, but we'll, we'll come back to it. But, um, Keeping to the main thread, first off, there's sort of, I think, some problems in trying to make films out of kids' books because the brevity and the simplicity of the book itself or the story doesn't lend to a narrative. And we see directors just expand them beyond what they were and it loses the essence of these things. Uh, like Dr. Seuss, for me, is a weird one to try and turn into a, a movie. And I, I say it because Dr. Seuss is just playing with words. It's like a whole lot of poems with visuals and there's not a lot in it. The, the one with the most essence to it is the Lorax and that was done pretty poorly as well. So it's... Um... Oh, that Mike Myers, uh, Cat in the Hat didn't do it for you. <laughs> well, yeah. the, cat, the Cat in the Hat doesn't have much to it. It's, it's just, it's a, just a dick who comes in and... <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. So it's, it's one of those ones where I think the sources are just being exploited for the economic sake of it without actually doing much for it. Um, I even go as far as to say The Hobbit by Peter Jackson suffers the same mm. thing. And it's... Yes. <laughs> yeah. The Hobbit is an interesting one because it's clearly um, a children's book, but the film is not a children's film. It's, no. it's, it's just a continuation of The Lord of the Rings, which is that high fantasy for adults, and it just... It felt spectacularly. I mean, The Hobbit is just woof. Yeah, well, but it's the shame of it. it I think The Hobbit takes pay, as, as you said, for being part of that Lord of the Rings, six films, if you want, saga. Yeah. But it not like into that. But, in a hole but in the, the Hobbit, Yeah, but The Hobbit, the book, it would have been nice to get the essential nature of that book in one oh, that, go. That would have been so good. It would have been a nice film to see if it was all held together in that one moment and still had the innocence of that one. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think The Hobbit, the film, or the, the, the films quite knew what they were. Like no. you would, it had, it had that, that, that scary stuff and that, the, the genuine dread that you would get from the Lord of the Rings films. But then the barrel hopping scene was one <laughs> the moment where I just thought, yeah. this has lost me. Like the CGI here is just like, there's no sense of weight or physics here. This is just um, But then it's it ludicrous the kind of like, 
rips the really silly, delightful, playful dialogue from like the troll scene and stuff, but then mixes yeah. in these like horrific demons living in the castles <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, but he was just trying to do. He was just trying to make a Lord, a Lord of the Rings prequel, mm. and I think, yeah, it was never going to be a children's film. No. Yeah, that's why he took all the stuff from like the Silmarillion and all that, and like jammed it into the Hobbit as hard as he could. Well, I think because he, um, Peter Jackson knew that you know if you had a three film deal, you could not pad out the Hobbit into three films. It's just not possible. It's a very small. It's a very short story. <laughs> the middle chapter of three hours of them walking was just breathtaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's an example, uh, like, it, it's probably one of the most outstanding examples of how the literature gets lost. The essence of what was the story originally gets lost completely with these films. So I think, I think that's the biggest it, danger. I think part of it comes down to the director's nostalgia for the property too. I'm going to jump into my thing. Let's talk about where the wild things are because I want oh, okay, to. Okay, you want to go okay. into that? Okay. All right. No, you're right. Absolutely not a perfect adaptation of the children's book. The children's book, Maurice and Dak, is fantastic. However, it's almost like this epic scoped memory that Spike Jones had of reading the book as a child that he's then sort of tried to bring to life. It's. If you get what I mean, it's almost like his memory of reading the book turned into a film. And I, I really like the film for what it is, and I really enjoy it, and I think it's fantastic. But you, as an adaptation of the book, it does fall into of being like this epic blowout of a very simple, sweet thing. But do you, you don't consider it a children's film, do you? I do in the sake of this list because <laughs> it was really difficult for me to find five children's films that I like. Well, I, I guess um, <laughs> yeah, can, you, can you imagine a child <laughs> wanting to watch that film? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, no, but... I, no that, that was my issue with it when I saw it. Like, I liked the film for what it was, but when I was sitting there, I'm like, oh, this is not for kids. <laughs> not at all. Uh, James Gandolfini is an angry monster. <laughs> didn't, didn't strike you as child friendly. I thought of the kind of Brooklyn types, like, yeah. Uh, it, it's the it, the issue is that it isn't really where the wild things are. Um, it's as you just explained, Scott. It's a reflection on it of his memories of it and how where it took his mind. And so we're getting mm, it's like a much bigger than the thing. Well, no, it's it's separate. As a result, it's it's sort of like. Um, the idea of the child's imagination and escapism isn't the child in this film, it's the director, it's mm. an adult, and it's not ground in uh, children's perspectives on it, ultimately, because he's layered it with so much sort of darker things, I have to say, than what exists in uh, Where the Wild Things Are. So it, it's it's got moments of it, obviously, that are replicated but i don't believe it's actually a translation of the text it's um but i i think it fits the the mold of what we're talking about you absolutely picked a great one to point out um i didn't mind it i didn't really love that film though like i probably didn't like it as much as you did uh, yeah something and, about it like it, it it and you know maybe it's i don't know 
childhood life experience, whatever, something about it really stuck with me and um, affected me when I saw it. That I and I, but I've never, I've never wanted to watch it again. <laughs> Just so no. there's something about it like affected me so much that I don't want to go through it again. So uh, it's one and done. Yeah. yeah, it 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 definitely created a weird sense of emotions when watching it, and and I I can't pin them down because I know that it was a little jarring, but not in a way that I say jarring from expectations, but more going, you know, it's actually I don't know whether I'm feeling really sad about this or excited it it gave mixed emotions as a result of the film and when i go back to the actual book there was no mixed emotion on that no that was like that was like revelation (laughs) you know this (laughs) it it didn't have that so yeah but that's a it's a really good example of how you get these unusual movements out of the text that's for sure i think a lot of it and i think as we go through some of these uh examples are sort of like what a director can do with a fairly straightforward source material because a lot of times children's books are fairly straightforward they can be weird and wonderful and wacky but there's you know they're fairly direct to get kind of really into really strange places yeah i actually had to throw in a television show on one of mine but i'll, I'll come to that later um did you want to start the top five now because you brought that one up or did you want to yeah. continue talking a bit more about well, it? I, do we want to well we could just we talk expand. about our our examples talk about various yeah. elements all right um dave do you have one that you want to bring up here um do we do we go from five to one or you just all right there's no you, specific there's order, no order. Yeah, just, oh great okay yeah yeah don't worry well, about look, it being um, number one okay look i'm gonna jump in and say the harry potter films are great they're great. Um, and I think most people probably pick the third one. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban is probably <laughs> the greatest sort of directorial work. Um, I I think I agree is sort of the most perfect film. It might be the best book. But also, the, look, the first one for just having the strength of just introducing the characters. And um, I think it's got so much going for it. I think they're great translations of the books. I know people have some issues with um, Hermione and with um, Ron. Um, but I, I think casting, fantastic, um, great source material, great sets. Um, I think that I'm watching Monica I think, Twitch slowly. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, am I triggering you? Um, I, I think they're great films. I think there's so many things that work in them. Um, but I'm interested in Monica's pushback here. I'm sensing some pushback. No, it's not pushback. I'm sorry. I just have a really bad poker face. Um, I, <laughs> at the risk of um, in angering all the rolling heads, I do not like the books or the films. I think they're, sorry, they're, I think they're garbage. No. Um, they're, just not, they're just not for me. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first, um, people. There is a disagreement on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a terrible millennial because I don't like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> You're failing at one job. But what, I had one job. <laughs> can I ask, Monica, what is it that really gets your goat about Harry Potter? Oh, it's not so much that it gets my goat. I think it came out at a time where I was at that threshold where I was just too old to appreciate the books for what they were as a children's book. So I think I aged out in that respect. Um, I also didn't feel when I did get to reading, I think I think I read maybe the first few. I just didn't find myself enraptured by and I didn't appreciate the writing style too much. And when it comes to this as well, I 
didn't I felt that the author taking so much control over their property and then adding things after it was published like did you know that Dumbledore was this or this is my intention stuff you don't need to do those things to books it really ruins people's um, experiences of them and the point of reading those books and enjoying the films is to take them for what they are and take your own interpretations away there's no need to control it in that kind of way um and as for the films I just didn't really think they were all that entertaining I just got a bit bored by them <laughs> look I, I will just offer a quick defense here and sure, I won't, I won't extend and, and look we could we could talk about JK Rowling maybe having you know submission and leaving aside the the political stuff which I know people have issues sure. with but like and she might have some issues around sort of authorial control and maybe um, making money but like when you're talking about sort of um, Dumbledore is this and that, like one of the great strengths to, to me of those films and the books is the world building. I mean, I just think the world building is incredible. Like um, that, yeah. that much thought and that, and, yeah, and that is it's... what, that is what appeals to people is the sense of like, this is a universe. Um, and I think kids, kids very much take to that. Um, they take to the range of characters. They take to the whimsy. They take to the celebration of imagination, but the, yeah, the world building to me is, is the great strength of those Um and I think is 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 a great enduring strength of the films. I think the, she the, um, yeah. she like George Lucas has managed to create a world that is consistent within itself. Yeah, like the Star Wars universe and Harry Potter. I think are the two sort of of these fictional kind of mo- modern ish ideas. You know, leaving behind kind of you know ancient Greek kind of world building in their fantasy stories and stuff like that you get these two very but they, they, they're kind of they built around rules and they work within those rules and mm. you never read I think I ever read a Harry Potter book where I'm like oh bullshit like, <laughs> you know what I mean like they all feel very cohesive in the the universe and the laws of the universe that she's created I mean I I, I read Harry Potter when I was 11 when the I think the first film came out so I read the first four books right before i saw the movie so i was kind of prime age for it and i really loved them but then by the time the fifth book came out i was kind of reading stephen king and i was reading brett easton ellis and probably a whole bunch of other stuff i shouldn't have been reading and and i and i then did, had no interest in reading the books anymore so i never read the last few books because i just it i was like i started reading it and i'm like oh this i don't want to read this this isn't for me anymore but the movies i really enjoy yeah, I, I yeah. don't want to be such a Debbie Downer and take that away from people because, you know, I think David makes really good valid points. The world building is really impressive and I will give the books that and the films that too. But, yeah, it, it's just not for me. But, you know, if other people really enjoy them, then who am I to sort of say, no, you're wrong? Of course, of course I'm, I'm, I'm not wrong. <laughs> well, you're arguing with a lot of people considering how, how popular it is. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, fine. Yeah. Uh, I, Do it, Monica. I, I agree about. <laughs> <laughs> we got your back. I, <laughs> I agree with the world building, and the, the best example would be you could make other stories, nothing to do with Harry Potter in that world, and like yeah, Fantastic stuff. Beasts kind yes. of stories. Yes, yeah, and that that is a testament to that rules of the world are very, very clearly established and understandable. Um, I think it is for kids and it has always been meant to be just telling this story uh, and it's very much from children's point of view. And I think it's a little clumsy in, you know, the development of the kids as they get older parts there. Like I think that's where it sort of falls over itself a little bit. But um, the films really, the the source material provides such a easy... (laughs) source to create spectacular yeah. films um yeah they're, they're hit and miss in terms of 
each film will have its uh, strengths and weaknesses, I think. I don't actually I th- mind the first one that bad. I think, I think if we're talking about children's films, though, I think the first two are really only for kids. Yeah. Because after that, they get a bit, like, from, from three onward, they get a bit grim. But that's that development of the story and characters getting older, and so the content starts getting older in terms yeah. of the way it's pitched. Um, but, yeah, I, look, I think we can't avoid talking about Harry Potter as films and literature in something like this because it is essentially the biggest one for a very, very yeah. long time. And the only match I could make... It's a blockbuster. Yeah, the only match I can make to J.K. Rowling's stories would be Roald Dahl um, in terms of children film impact. Uh, I can't think of any other author that would be close. Mm. So, yeah, uh, look, there's a lot of films to talk about there, so we can't really, <laughs> we don't have time for all of them. That's a whole podcast in itself, yeah. I'd say, Harry Potter. But um, I I do think that it's got that essence that children love, and that's shown in how popular the books are, and the films tend to grab it and sort of lose it as they progress because they go into more adult territory, and that's probably my summary take on Harry Potter. But I certainly am not offended by it. <laughs> like Monica. Let's was. review all eight of them on a week for Monica. <laughs> I feel like a monster. <laughs> no, you're allowed not to you're allowed to not like them. Yeah. You are allowed to not like them, that's for sure. Uh, I I actually just so that you know, when I first read Harry Potter, I sort of felt I was reading the same things I'd read when I was a kid from a lot of English literature. So yeah. it didn't really pounce out at me like it probably did to children of the of this generation that read it because I'd seen it before in Tom Brown's school days. <laughs> Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah, say it again. Earthsea. <laughs> Wizard, Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and Tom Brown's school days, you know, stuff like yeah. that. It, it all, it's yeah, just... But, a, she, but J.K. Rowling, I think J.K. Rowling was quite open about that. Yeah, which is fine. She, yeah, was, she was drawing from you know, many influences before. Which um, everyone does. Which, <laughs> yeah. All of Every these universes do. Under with that, yeah. So yeah, I, I I think it's a good choice to be honest. I think it it's certainly one that has to be talked about and considered in this theme or this topic. All right, you're a lizard, Harry. <laughs> go, go, Monica. What do you got, Monica? Come on. Um, I'm just trying to think of which one I want to talk about first. Um, I'll go with The Secret Garden. It's one that I remember um, watching as a film when I was a kid. Um, admittedly, I've not read the book, but I do have a copy of it. But um, I think it's it's a I guess a more darker take on um, and it's a bit more gothic in nature because it deals with sort of the fallout of grief, but there's also in the sense that it's trying to sort of build friendships and build families in your own kind of way, and um, something about it um, just really resonates with me. I know the book, but I don't think I've seen the film. That's I, my I, I, I don't know either. So the film, yeah, yeah. it's a uh, 1993 film. Um, I guess um, Maggie Smith would be the most famous name in it, I think, from memory. Yeah. 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 And it's about this girl. She is orphaned um, and she goes to this house where Maggie Smith is sort of, I guess, um, the matron um, of this orphanage and she discovers this garden that she learns to cultivate and um, she's there while her uncle is away and infrequently visits. And then she sort of 
becomes less of a brat because she grew up in British India and had all this mm. wonderfulness and she learns to as you recite the plot to me it's it's like ringing bells that maybe I have seen this movie but <laughs> oh no I've read it's the quite book. beautiful visually yeah. it's I've a read very the book, book so look at, I, yeah yeah but uh, I hadn't seen the film so I'm just interested how well they pulled the film off uh, in terms of basing it on the book so from the sounds of it you're saying it's visually really good and Maggie Smith is always a solid actor so yeah, um, I admittedly I have not seen the film in many many years, so my memory is very um, unclear of it. But I remember enjoying it a lot, and I also remember it having more more dark adult type themes within there. But I think they were explained and explored in a way that children could definitely digest and understand, and again, in a way that's not patronising. Yeah, I think it's the kind of kids' film it might be nice to watch with your kid, I think. Yeah, well, for sure. It's it's the kind of one where your kid might need their hand held a little bit. Um, mm. You might want to debrief afterwards because um, it is quite tender. And, um, and Jason, you would remember, like, the emotions in there are really, they're significant emotions for a kid to sort of process. Um, so it is, mm, it, yeah. yeah, I my memory of it is, it's fairly vague, but I remember visually beautiful and I, yeah, I, my sense would be, yeah, you watch it with your kid and it might be one of those things that might trigger some interesting yeah. discussions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to check it out with my kids, that's for sure, because I do remember reading it. Um, at the moment with my kids, we tend to try and get them to read the books before they see the film. So uh, that's held well for a while. That's a pretty good approach. That's a good approach. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's been worthwhile because they always go, that, they missed this, they didn't do that. <laughs> so they, they get it really uh, upset from the fact that things are missing. Like, um, I think my daughter still can't forgive uh, there being no, uh, what was his name? Is it Peeves in Harry Potter? Yeah, Peeves in the films. <laughs> She's found that unforgivable. I do not remember. Yeah. Uh, but... Ah, oh, well, it's a sad story, really. That the reason Peeves isn't in the films, and you don't know it. No. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Peeves was actually started. They started filming Peeves, and Peeves was Rick Mail, and he died during uh, production. So they took it out, but decided not to refilm in respect to the fact of what he'd already done. So he he would have been a perfect Peeves, yeah. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and um, Mail's pretty yeah, good I in most things. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> Secret Garden. All right, I, I'm going to put that on the list to watch. That's for sure. Okay. okay, my first one. I'm actually going to go with what Monica has in her background there, The Wizard of Oz. It is also on my list. On my list yes. too. <laughs> uh, my, probably not so much because of the story it came from, but more the fact that it is. A film which really still has a major impact. Today. If you open up the uh, textbook of the history of filmmaking, it has a chapter. Yeah, it's yeah, it is a phenomenal achievement at the time. It still, uh, I think that change from black and white to color. Yeah, as is one of the most outstanding moments. Would have had people falling out of their chairs <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Yes, yeah, but I think it still works. This it's, just in man oh. shits itself at cinema. I mean, it, it borrows heavily from the concept of Alice in Wonderland, but it's um, 
it, as it's does just the book. done so well. Yeah, right. Well, the whole story, the whole concept. But yes, um, the archetypes in it and the way that it works with, you know, the brains, the heart and so on, it, it's just done so well and visually and there's no patronising going on, you know. Um, if anything, they're bowing down to to Dorothy for killing the witch, you know. So the child yeah. is actually got power in it and um i, I really do interestingly my kids they saw um i think they saw one of the harry potters which is quite scary around the same time we showed them the wizard of oz and they found the wizard of oz scarier because of the evil witch oh, <laughs> they're really scary the monkeys man <laughs> what a great they didn't get to the monkeys the flying <laughs> monkeys them already <laughs> Yeah, I get you, my son tanked. Yeah, that was um, it. We all know, right, that the famous um, one-line um, blurb for it in a TV review, which was transported to a surreal landscape. A young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again. <laughs> kill again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's got better on the mind. <laughs> and she stole her shoes too. <laughs> yeah, she stole her shoes. Even worse. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> Yeah, The Wizard of Oz still, when the, every time I watch it, it still takes my breath away with, you know, just mm. how well it's made. And also it's a miracle that how that film was able to make it to the final cut with all the problems that they were having um, behind the scenes as well, which is a totally... Tin men dropping dead, <laughs> being allergic to the body paint and dying. <laughs> and also what happened to the actress that played um, the Wicked Witch of the West as well. She got quite a lot of very severe burns when she does that um, first disappearing act in Munchkin Land where all, she puts the broom down, all the smoke and the flames surround her. Um, but you can't dispute the wonderfulness of the end result. This film is just fantastic. And, you know, from the technicolour, the music, the characters, it's just, it hits all the right notes. Yeah, it's gorgeous to look at too. It just stays that level of like... Um... Uh, uh, dreamlike it yeah it's really beautiful and it's the way it's just looks this kind of timeless hand-drawn matte painting kind of mm. world yeah in a few ways that, that cgi ruined when we go watch something like oz the great and powerful even though sam raimi is perfect and can do no wrong <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> I was going to comment on the way, I said in a similar way to Harry Potter, it does establish a universe and the rules within that universe. Um, I guess another story that's come out from The Wizard of Oz is Wicked, which is um, the Broadway production and also a, um, a book series. Um, Wicked as a production on stage is a nice complement to The Wizard of Oz. It's just told from a different perspective and it's really, really good. And I think I, I would argue that it's also quite suitable for children as well in a way that story but then there's like return to oz which is like mm. what the hell am i watching <laughs> which i do not enjoy in the slightest mm. no. and in terms of committing like we're talking about um what works is when people commit to kids films like the actors and just i just think of the actor playing the lion Rawr, rawr. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but like cat. it's I'm a scared yeah. cat. <laughs> yeah. He's having such fun. Yeah. <laughs> Probably indirectly um inspired Andrew Lloyd Webber in a few ways for cats, maybe. But <laughs> oh Christ. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, it's 
um great choice. Yeah, it, it captures all of those things so for me that's my idea no, no, all right. it's a phenomenal choice yeah everyone needs a friend like scarecrow <laughs> <laughs> all right let's jump aboard the roll dial train and uh let's talk about what jason and i both have chosen to go behind us because <laughs> i think it's pretty obvious <laughs> if i had to rank yeah. them in a numerical order this would be my number one but uh yeah Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. No, let's not talk about that one. <laughs> oh, no, he's a perfect going example. To... He's a perfect I'm... example of what to talk about. What's wrong with things? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I had this thing where I was going to talk about Alice in Wonderland and how you know we get these great concepts and it gets ruined by pretentious prats like Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> He made it personal. <laughs> it, it is. It's Tim. Tim, if you're listening, fuck you. Um, Jason, can you show me on the doll where Tim Burton hurt you? <laughs> yeah. Here. No. And here. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm going to step step up for Tim Burton a moment and his okay. version of this. Oh, good. Um, but Sorry. but please make your <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well okay what we were actually talking about was willy wonka and the chocolate factory and yeah i don't think charlie and the chocolate factory captures the same sense of wonder and the character of willy wonka the same way as this musical as such because that's what it is ultimately yeah. um it's gene wilder has made this role almost impossible to be replayed I, it is iconic yeah he's he's there's nuanced. a reason you can still go to the shops right now and buy dolls of gene wilder in this role <laughs> um oh and just the memes that you get just with oh. that weird wry oh. look that he's got <laughs> um, it's like, um he, yeah, he manages <laughs> to capture that part of willy wonka which is in the books where you, you, you're not quite comfortable with him the whole time because he's not playing all his cards throughout the whole thing and it's um it's really uncertain whether he's it's motive like <laughs> he likes kids does he like why is he making chocolate when he seems to be so dismissive of these kids but he's got this really sort of ethical harsh ethical requirement of them uh, <laughs> that if they get smashed up or drowned or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, no, hell. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> All those moments. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just got this bizarre mix of the fantastical, like we'd expect from something like Wizard of Oz, with this darker edge to it. But it, I think the kids that are in it, the actors, they all do really well. Um, yeah. I, I think the actor, the child actors in the Tim Burton one do well as well. But in this one, they just seem to really stand out and are memorable. I, like, I, I find that I can imagine, you know, close my eyes and I can see Mike TV and how he acts and what he does so well. It shows how well it was done in the first place. And um, then you get things like the music, which sort of adds another dimension. And I probably didn't think about this, but a lot of kids' films add 
music in a way which has got a little bit more to it than other films. Yeah. So when we talk about children's films and when music's put in, music's put in for other reasons. And, you know, the pure imagination song that's encapsulating childhood and things like that. So it's a great way of uh, transferring the text. But Dave, did you want to suggest something there for the Tim Burton bit on? Uh, look, I think the original is superior and I can understand why people thought, why remake a damn near perfect film? And I felt the same way. Um, and I think Johnny Depp's kind of got that Michael Jackson creepy. Yes. Yes, he does. Vibe that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that is really problematic in the film. But I think visually it's, it's amazing. I think the music works really well in the Tim Burton actually do i think it's great they have great fun with the music um my my defense just rests in just like it, it i think it like if you if you didn't know the original that the tim burton film was good it's a good film it does it, it still it still captures yeah. the original book um, it, it still has that weird sense <laughs> of like is he is he our friend or not it brings something it sure does <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and there's some visuals that that stay with him out. We've moved. Yeah, we lost Scott for a moment there. Yeah. He Keep wasn't expecting there. anybody to um, defend defend um, the the remake. Um, but I, I I think it's a I think it's a worthy film. I I can't stand what Tim Burton did to Alice in Wonderland, and I will. Mm. I was going to say, let's, think, let's talk about <laughs> how good he is. Yeah. Uh, that is awful. What he what he did there is awful. But I think it's a it's a fairly faithful version of the original. Going to um the, the dial. Uh, sorry, going to um Charlie. Um, I think the actors are fine. Um, I think it's weird the Johnny Depp thing, but I don't I don't dismiss it either. I think it's interesting to go like at least he did his own. Going back to the dentist thing. I mean, it's his interpolators and stuff there. But fair enough. I'm I, I've never felt like a, a film has to be completely true to the original novel like if it works and it's on sign it works yeah I, I have to agree i think the dentist thing does work in the context of the film yeah. um i'm I, I wasn't mad at that i thought it made a lot of sense um particularly for this um iteration of um the story um the child actors i agree i think they did a really fine job um i think um one of the things that sort of jars with it when people compare the two films together is perhaps the johnny Depp one feels a little bit more almost sterile in a way you don't have that sense of you don't have that color and that atmosphere to back up the sweetness of it um which is mm. present in the original film um i think that's probably the biggest thing that when people are comparing the two films which is why i think the one with johnny depp gets dismissed um on the whole which i think is a valid criticism but you can't take away the fact that you know tim burton's um version does have some strengths to it and they're perfectly valid <laughs> I, I don't want I'm to... going to go back. Can I go, go back to a review Scott and I did about the witches, uh, the latest version? To me, the reason that Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory works is the source material. Is when you've got the Roald Dahl is like far out. <laughs> Roald Dahl has just I don't know how he, he manages to nail. He, that childhood centre wonder. And it's 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 one of those things where I feel 
Yes, Tim Burton. Like there are Tim Burton films I don't mind. Okay, so I'm not going to say he's always that bad, but I just find that he appropriates in a really badly way, a real bad way, I should say, um, a lot of literature that puts his mark on it and removes the essence of it sometimes. Charlie and Chocolate Factory is probably not the worst example. I was probably going off um, Alice in Wonderland more than anything in that case. but Which we can talk about later, I'm sure. Yeah, the source material, though, uh, is so strong in this. Uh, like, I remember reading this book as a kid multiple times just because it was such a great yeah. escape into this possibility of, you know, <laughs> going to the chocolate factory, this bizarre Candy. chocolate factory and, you know... Uh, with these really weird characters and uh, I always just love getting to the end in the glass elevator and it, it's so the, the visuals of the story just stand out and these films and I'll, I'll say both films capture those visuals and I just think that there's a little more heart in the original than the Tim Burton one like the relationship between yeah. the characters Charlie and his grandfather all of those things just seem to have this more solid heart to them than the Tim Burton one. And I think that reflects that Agreed. sterile-ish feel. And I just, Johnny Depp's great as a caricature, but I don't think Willy Wonka is a caricature. And this is where it doesn't work. And so uh, that's that's why this one stands out for me. Yeah. Well, Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka is more like a serial killer, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't want to go down the Michael Jackson road again. Um, the, I think if I would put them side by side, and I've seen, I mean, and maybe it is just because I've seen the old one more times, I couldn't hum a song from the new one. I, could, I can't picture any of the children in my mind if I tried to imagine. Even the actors, I couldn't tell you who they were. The only thing I remember is Johnny Depp being weird and Christopher Lee being Christopher Lee. And maybe that's the biggest sin of it is that I find it painfully forgettable. Like I just, mm. whereas I can picture so much from the original film, even the, the nightmarish scene in the tunnel with the lizards and like, <laughs> Gene Wilder screaming murderously into the night. Like I can, I can remember all that stuff because it's so potent and stands out in my mind. Whereas I, I, I couldn't even, I don't even remember like, I think they actually go in the Great Gallus Elevator at the end of the Johnny Depp one and fly around a bit and he meets his dad, maybe. <laughs> I remember the um, the peanut scene with the squirrels. I think that's the yeah. standout scene I don't. from the remake. <laughs> well, I remember that's, that's where yeah. it differs. It's actually taken the original concept from the book and put it in there, whereas the geese laying the Not golden goose. eggs, in, yeah, <laughs> it's different in the original. But, you know, as you said, it doesn't have to be exactly the same to grab the essence of something. So um, I didn't have a problem with the dentistry two thing background. That, to me, was fine. It's, um, I, it's certainly not my beef with the film at all. Uh, I just think the old one is just so much more superior. And um, I think it's coming back to the music in it, because I think that's a whole other element that we will remember like the music from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, or oh, sorry, Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory, uh, is memorable and it's stood, really stood the test of time. And uh, I think it helps us remember that film more and lifts it above the Tim Burton one. Um, 
but yeah, I think you can like either, to be honest, because the source material is just so strong. Yeah. Roldal's a pretty firm foundation to build on. Yeah, I've got a few of Roldal's. That's the problem. Yeah, same. Who's <laughs> <laughs> next? Who we got? I think Dave's next, was it? Oh, oh great. I'm, I'm happy to go again. Look, um, oh, this, where do I jump in here? Um, okay, here's one that I think is... Um, problematic in that it's maybe adults enjoy it as much as kids or maybe it's for older kids but uh, fantastic mr fox i've got That's that on, on my list, list. <laughs> on my list as well um, yeah um well look i i won't go on about it because everyone's probably got something to offer i just think um the rye sense of humor the animation style is gorgeous like just gorgeous mm -hmm. um the relationships in there again the source material but it's like it's really built on the source material isn't it george clooney's voice i mean it's just one of the great voice voice roles for George Clooney I think he's he's so funny in it um and the great timing yeah um and it's the, I mean it is a great story but yeah the, and the, just the, the visual style it's just it's just beautiful it's got that sort of like two-dimensional kind of quality rather than being trying to be too three-dimensional it's the Wes Anderson-ness of it it's that the Wes Anderson the, sort, the of almost, sort of the tableau thing filming right? uh yeah filming stop motion as though it were a play the way he shoots all yeah, his yeah, films as though like they a, were a play a stage set rather than yeah. a three-dimensional environment yeah and it, it works really nicely though that sort of it, it makes it feel more like a puppet show which i think that is what gives it its endearing quality so yes it's this stop motion which is done extremely well but it doesn't go down the wallace and gromit track where we're doing it cinematically we're doing it more like a puppet show and oh that's what makes it sort of stand out and makes oh, it a, a little different yeah absolutely um i i really love fantastic mr fox my kids love it they'll, mm. they'll watch it anytime and mm. animation sort of fits the concept of kids imagination because animation allows you to do whatever you like too so yeah. it's yeah. it's no longer ground in here's your live actors and we're stuck in the physics of the world of every day we can escape now into the imaginative world and animation just really lifts it and in this case that sort of stop motion animation is better than 2d animation i've only got uh sort of cartoon 2d animation one of those films in my list but there's a different reason for it but i find the two-dimensional two animations and even some of the 3d animations don't necessarily capture the same essence so yeah fantastic mr fox is unreal I, I, monica and scott you can add your two bits to that i've done mine yeah um i was just going to say um wes anderson is probably one of the better directors to have work on a role dial kind of universe um, i just think there's a good marriage between the two with wes anderson's um, visual style and role dial's approach to sort of um world building and telling his story i feel wes anderson in fantastic mr fox he's it's almost like a loving tribute to the story through directorial his... style which just makes it so endearing and so lovable um and um as david said before george Clooney was like a really good pick for oh, yeah voice work he does such a tremendous job in it and you know it lends himself to you know how crafty and how resourceful you know mr fox is he's just so clever and slick and george Clooney's voice is a really good choice to emphasize that 
Literally, all of you have covered all the things that I would have said about <laughs> other than the remainder of the voice cast that is also oh yeah, yeah a of Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman is the, is mm. great as the like pathetic sidekick. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're you know part of the um, Wes Anderson um, yes. cinematic universe, but yes, they're yes. still really good picks. <laughs> he rolled out the usual suspects. Yes, he did, but we're we're glad to see them or to listen to them. Yes, it's yeah. It's just it's so fun to watch. Awesome. Cool. Did they just hit uh, one that we all had? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that was. I've got that one was left. They've all been. Wow. <laughs> I have one in me that's more, I guess, based on a television series, but there are films that are also tied with it. Um, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, Winnie the Pooh. Dead Sir Christopher Robin, the only movie to make this grown man cry like a fucking baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember quite fun. As, as opposed to your own baby being born, did that not make sense? <laughs> Apparently not. No. <laughs> I was like, there it is. <laughs> no, Christopher Robin, that movie, that movie gutted me i was like it just yeah i i love the poo growing up like i had the books and yeah. and um i'd not seen a film version i think apart from like the tv cartoon as a kid that i was like oh that was good and then christopher robin just <laughs> slapped me around that's my last one <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just love all the characters they're all i guess facets of christopher robin's personality um and i find um you know when i was a kid i my favorite was piglet but now as an adult, I um, resonate with Rabbit now more than ever. Rabbit. Just high, highly fucking really anxious all the time. <laughs> but um, yeah, they just I, I find the stories with Winnie the Pooh just so charming and there's something so universal about them that everyone can relate back to in any iteration of the film. So it's more of a blanket thing, but you can't go wrong. Yeah, it can be um it can be applied to whatever you're trying to yeah. tell exactly uh well i've got two left mm. i'll go down the roll dull tunnel once more and say matilda yeah, yeah. That's so, pretty good. Um, it's a good movie <laughs> just uh very strong yeah i the the mixture of danny devito and uh the he, the parents the way that they the create those characters yeah man so well done to contrast to um oh, I've suddenly forgotten the character's name the teacher miss honey miss honey that's it miss honey um i was thinking it's something sweet <laughs> um and then you know the principal of the school which is one of the, the funniest characters uh funniest characters in children's literature and then having all those moments of almost torture in school uh, i just think kids will see that and i remember we watched it before my son started school and my partner actually got worried that he watched it. She's going, school's not like that. School's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who your teacher is. <laughs> and, um, but he, he, he thought it was hilarious. He loved it. And, um, yeah, I just sort of think that it, it's one of those ones that really capture Roald Dahl's amazing sort of kaleidoscopic way of viewing things it's not ever just one way you've got such a obscure 
branches coming out of his stories every single time and the film mimics it so well in that sense so that's why i had matilda there and when we were talking about when i was saying uh, uh, kid actors are important like good kid actors are important like mara wilson's great yeah yeah like she, she 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 really owns, she she totally owns that role like that is that is a great performance of matilda because you could like you can imagine a kid just not quite getting to grips with Matilda, like or just like vanishing into her as a role. Um, but she has—I don't know what quite what how she does it, but she's really memorable. Mm. So totally memorable yeah, as, yeah. A, as that character. Absolutely, um, she's got that the intelligence behind the eyes. Yeah, it, it's yeah. sort of it, it's it's not it. overtly thrown out there. But just you know, just a quizzical look at things, and then a just a resigned to listening to an adult tell her something stupid. <laughs> you know, it really, <laughs> really works well. And again, it sort of goes down that track of these stories are coming from the kids' point of view, and they're talking to children and their experience and their view on life. So, it's, uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy Matilda, and I hope they don't remake it because it's well made yeah. in itself and Give i love the fact the there's a i love the fact there's a musical of it i haven't seen it yeah so it's a mention yeah, yeah. Mm. so although apparently i was reading now denny devito is uh, as of uh, a year and a bit ago is apparently developing a sequel yeah. There you go. Matilda. <laughs> uh, I, I'll wait and Trunch see. Bowl's <laughs> revenge. <laughs> yeah, that sounds We've now moved on to the javelin. <laughs> yeah. Um. In terms of like those those great little kids who are acting, like there's a some great kids stuff coming out of Canada at the moment. A few TV shows. Odd Squad mm. is unbelievable. And Dino Dana. So there's an an actress there who's kind of around the same age as Matilda was, Michaela Lucci, I think. Um, She's fantastic. You know her, yeah. She isn't she great? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, my, my son really likes Dino Dana. Yeah, Dino Dana's great, and she plays a little bits in um an Odd Squad. And Odd Squad is just one of the great kids TV That's shows. That's so if you want. strange. Odd Squad <laughs> is great. It is really odd and really weird, and has got that that really quirky. Sensibility. It feels like it's too smart for kids. Like I don't know how to like it. It's so zany. Like it's zany. That's right. It is zany and cerebral, but but zany and absurd. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. She she reminds me of, of um the original Matilda actress in terms of like you want to find a kid who can show intelligence behind their eyes and exasperation. Great, great. All right. Who's got one left? I've got one left. I've got I've got I've got one or two. Oh, Look, I, I'm surprised no one's um gone for never ending story. Um oh, okay. The book is traumatized me. The book is weird. The book is weird. If ever yeah. if you've ever read the source material, it's very German. Um and it and it goes into sort of a metaphysical <laughs> a metaphysical my favorite things to hear. A lot of kids <laughs> very German. <laughs> very german a lot of kids <laughs> would tank i think in some of the metaphysical mystical stuff in the book but i think the film's very charming um i admittedly have not watched it for a long time so i, I don't know it may have dated in some of the special effects but i in terms of iconic images um i think it's 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 great it's it's whimsy um emotional um yeah the horse in the swamp yeah. of sadness oof that's hard <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I remember uh, the no, wolf, that's it's the a really good, just traumatized yeah. me as a kid yeah that was a right oh. it's 
No, I, I, I think it's definitely one I, I had on my list in terms of I, when I go about trying to work out my top five, I, and I yeah. always express this in podcasts every once in a while, is it could change next week. You know, you sort of, you find that it shifts around, but I had the never ending story in it. And as in my whole list that I had to narrow down to five. Um, and yeah, it's sort of on that same bar as uh, having a fantastical world that we go to like Wizard of Oz and you've got the same sort of Princess Bride aspects of the hero and um, unusual characters in that. In fact, I think some are very similar. Now I'm thinking back to Neverending Story and Princess Bride, but um, yeah, it's it's a great film. The 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 effects it's visually the, yeah. The, I don't think the effects have dated that much. The, they have a little bit. No, the rock the rock people yeah, and stuff because it's puppetry it's really and like whoa. Yeah, the puppetry. That's right. So puppetry yeah. doesn't date so, that much, right? No, no. It, I think any film that holds to practical effects tends to just stand the test of time. And when you do too much CGI. It's just going to get yeah because dated. the technology changes so fast. Yeah. That's right. Like yeah. watching, so, I'm sure when we'll look, we'll back at Avatar soon, it will look a bit odd by the time Avatar two comes out, <laughs> and three and four and five and yeah, six and seven. And eight, and <laughs> but like how amazing the T one thousand looked when you saw Terminator two, yeah. and now it looks kind of odd polygon, like when it's on the floor and stuff. It's like um, you know, bad Simpsons. CG in that episode. <laughs> and can I just say one more, like just as an honourable mention, I, I think the first Narnia film, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is really successful. I think Tilda Swinton kills, she slays. I think um, the scene She's got where everything I, though. I, it, yeah, but and, and I think the, the scene where Aslan is um, is done in is is really great. Like that is the, the, the effects there. I think um, it does the. I mean, the source material is so strong. I thought it was it was rollicking. I thought the the fight at the end was great. I thought the the kid playing Edmund was really good. He was surly in a really kind of unlikable way that you could, <laughs> yeah. You kind of everyone knows those boys, so you just kind of, yeah. James Michael was a very good Mr. Tomness as well. Yeah, yeah. I think he's really good in it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a lovely film. Actually. Yeah, it is. It's very good. I don't. Remember, I don't. I legitimately don't remember enough of it. To... Oh, I remember it did. That was another one of those books that I reread a lot as a kid because I guess yeah. there's this point when you're reading as a kid, you're either on your picture books or you've moved into your chapter books. And I think my generation didn't have a lot of chapter books to go to. No. And there no. was there was some essential ones out there that you got to yeah. read. They were so good that yeah. you'd go back to them again. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was one of them. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was one of them. The rest of the Narnia series, I remember trying it and didn't care for it. Uh, but the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was just... it. it it's almost like every one of these has the rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm going to come back to Alice in Wonderland, which I started the whole thing mm. about. Um, you know, never-ending story. You go to the world, uh, you know, with a trio and so on. And then in the line of Witch in the Wardrobe, we go through the wardrobe into the Narnia and so on. And it's quite interesting how we've got that little gateway where we're going to leave the real adult world to go. Yeah, it's like yeah. you have to, you have to, you have world to of imagination. <laughs> and uh, it seems to be one of the standing essential qualities to a lot of the 
children's books and films. Um, Harry Potter is a bit different though, because that's literally a parallel world rather than stepping oh, to platform the nine and three quarters. Yeah, sort of. They still got a still got a run head first into a brick wall to get there. No, but they're still crossing a, a threshold in. Yeah, they yeah. it does. Yeah, but um. No, I guess with um, Harry Potter, because those two worlds end up interacting with one another. That's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, whereas the others don't. They're very separate. Do any of you have any kids' books you, who are, that are not adapted that you'd love to see adapted into film? That's a good that's question. The I'd like to see... I see a truck. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it maybe like a, a, an hour sort of long film, right? Like a... No, I a where the wild things are esque three hour adaptation. <laughs> where it's really bleak and a kid remembers yeah. watching it and feeling really unhappy yeah. and... <laughs> or a hobbit esque nine hour. <laughs> it's very short, but I think it, it, it's, it's really Actually, beautiful. the Even... Hobbit I, I would love to see the Hobbit done as a contained film. I, I really One would. Film, yeah aimed at kids i would really love to see a version of the hobbit that way because i i do believe that that's what a lot of the literature is based on is the hobbit and it's uh it's unfortunate that it had to be tied in with lord of the rings and kept at that adult level rather than because i think the challenging thing would be like trying to sell that on a financial level would be why they never bothered to make it i think because it would be it would be expensive but too expensive to invest in a children's film, I think. Hmm. Well, Unless Tim Burton was directing it. <laughs> no, ruining it. Oh. Prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had one more film, um, and it's probably there because of its impact on me as a kid, uh, and that's Watership Down. It's, <laughs> it, it's like... If you want to go traumatizing impact, <laughs> <the camera>. yeah. <laughs> oh, Who knew rabbits were so violent? Oh, there was all that, but it, it was just more. I don't know. It, it, I was able to really get carried along by the story of the animals in a way more than any other book, and as a book as well. But I mean, I read the book as an adult. I have to admit, but watching the movie as a kid. I was just so transported by the animals and their problems and, you know, the journey that they went along. It, it was um, just outstanding. Uh, but it is it's a very emotional whack uh, in terms of a film. <laughs> Hard but lessons to be learned. In saying that, is that a bad thing? I mean, really, no, no, sometimes no. I think it's, it's a nice I think it depends on the child, though, if you're... I think some kids would not be ready for it. No. And I think that also comes back to the animation style in Watership Down as well. It's spectacular. Mm. Yeah, it's so beautiful to look at, even the gory bits. (laughs) Yeah. um, So it's always stood out of my head. I mean, the book's an amazing book. I'll I'll just say that. It is. It's so well written. Um, But then that film drew me to it from as a child seeing it to read it later as an adult. So, um, yeah, that's my final one there. It's not necessarily the top no, one. It's just we had our roll dial, roll dial moments. It's I had to, um, when together. we were doing this, I had to do a bit of Googling to be like, oh, you know, kids' films based on books and literature and stuff. And I think my favourite one was uh, someone had suggested was uh, Prince of Egypt because the Bible is absolutely one of my favourite children's books. 
<laughs> oh dear. Very good. Uh, I actually yeah. had <laughs> um there's I had one other sort of show which I wanted to nod towards, and it's more an Australian one, was uh Round the Twist. If you've <gasps> seen that. Bit of Jennings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I it, it, it. yeah. It, it it's one I, I I couldn't watch beyond the first season. Like it's sort of once you lose the original actors for some reason it doesn't work. But it, it seemed to capture that round the twist, the Jennings stories so well. And it's mm. certainly grounded in the Australian aspect to it. And um, I, I really enjoyed having those sort of Twilight Zone for kids <laughs> shows available. It's really yeah. good. And then they can go read the books. I think they're remaking it at the moment. Oh, well, I mean, there's a lot of source material there because it's, it's it had um, some massive series of it. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, that's just a sort of television show that I thought was very successfully translated. Um, but yeah, there's kids' literature to films. <laughs> Any other last points to add to it? Only that I could keep talking about it, and I think there's actually interesting things to talk about with kids' books to TV. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, but that that would require its own podcast because some great TV shows that have come out of kids' books and kids' book series, like How to Train Your Dragons, one to me that I think works really well. It's that's great fun. But yeah, that that's it's a whole other universe, isn't it? Um, the the book series that become TV series. Yeah, for sure. It, it is, and I guess we're sort of still talking about the same thing, though. And I'm trying yeah. to think of other television shows that sort of go down that path um I, I probably didn't think about this one too much to be able to talk in depth but i i, I think it's the same essence of what we've been talking about is required in the television shows uh to really capture that spirit of it's just a serialized format yeah um there's there's lots of bad examples of translations obviously um we we used to put in the to bottom five, but we just find that there's too many to choose from. <laughs> it's like it's um, it's interesting takes, and I think when they go a bit meta on it, that's when it loses the sense of it. Um, the only one that worked, and we we reviewed this. I would have probably put the Princess Bride in as one of them, but I hadn't read the book, so I couldn't put it in because of that. I couldn't comment. Yeah. Um, the book already has that essence to it so it makes sense that the film is like that but then when you see things like uh, goosebumps it's become matter but it's not actually the source material and so it loses the essence that's of the why, goosebumps that's why we have the outstanding television series adaptation of goosebumps yeah. too. <laughs> yeah well that, but that might be the case yeah so maybe because goosebumps well it's just adaptation it's just literally hour-long versions of the books yeah but makes more sense doesn't it and you would i you mentioned one earlier where you said and now i didn't catch the name of it but you and dave seem to know it oh it's your yeah that one i don't roald know dahl. that one it's in roald dahl yeah oh, okay, you'd like yep, it. it's roald dahl yeah that's that's great it's really it's really fun. but you mentioned that it'd only be one hour so there's obviously it's a very short places book. out there where maybe it is better to just have a half hour 20 minute or one hour episode of representing those texts because I think when you stretch it out like goosebumps and the Hobbit 
you're losing the essence of things and it, it's quite an interesting take on it yeah well the twits the twits would be another one that'd be great to oh, see twits would yeah. be good uh, as an yeah, i'm surprised that hasn't happened <laughs> denny's marvelous medicine yeah any any role to old book really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he's he's certainly a, a rich source for children and, uh, and just this week netflix has bought the rights to all of his stuff yeah yes a billion dollar deal or something yeah to, yeah i'm not i'm not excited about that as a deal i don't well, they're yeah, filming the uh, Wonka prequel at the moment. Like they just started filming, I think today or yesterday. It is a shame that like contemporary authors are not getting deals, right? Yeah, really. It's... Like Dahl's estate made 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 a lot of money. They're doing very nicely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Like be, I'd like just in terms of like contemporary children's authors, some great stuff and great kids authors who should be getting the Netflix deals. But you know, who cares? Like it's not a should world. It's a it's the world that it is um oh i think it's true because the the thing is that in the past they they took risks with people like roald dahl yeah know, when he first yeah. probably proposed a book to someone they probably just went no way there's no way you oh, could write Matt, something like this. <laughs> and then and then someone pitches a film idea and they go oh yeah that's sort of popular isn't it now and they well i, they I think it, it all but... comes back to that like one the film industry is run by illiterates and two if it hasn't been done before, don't try it now. Yeah, risk averse. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's just they just will not. They won't do it unless you've got something to be like. No, it's going to kind of be like that other Willy Wonka one, and that made a hundred million dollars. So, yeah. Is it just make... um, Dahl's children's books? Because I know he's published um, adult um, fiction. And <laughs> he did some well. pretty messed up horror as well. Yeah. He's... It's, I think it's just the, I, I'm pretty sure, based on their sort of pitch, I think they're only interested in adapting the... Uh, the children's ones. Yes. It basically, their their big advertisement for it was a Wonka bar being opened with Netflix written on the golden tickets. I think they've uh, that speaks <laughs> okay. volumes yeah. about yeah. their intentions of it. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, personally, the, the Institute of Fantastical Inventions would probably make a pretty good movie. I'm just uh, throwing that one out there. <laughs> <laughs> if, you know, if you know what I want at Netflix, uh, send it away. Uh, uh, Stan, oh, mate. Sort of, I, think you should, Stan. I think you should hit up Stan. Can I, can I just add Stan, something yeah. here? Um, I'm looking at the top grossing kids' films. Okay, so it's only 95 to 21. But it's Shrek 2, based on Shrek, which was a risk. The Incredibles, which was an original idea. Yep. Finding Nemo, which was an original idea. Yeah. Uh, and it sort of has some of the well-known ones like remakes in terms of Lion King and Finding Dory is obviously a follow-up. Frozen, Monsters, Inc. Yeah, we only get to How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is 10th yeah. as the known factor in the whole thing. Yeah, so in in which has been done like four times yeah which in reality means that the ones that really cut through are the originals the new ones yeah mm. so i think what people are forgetting is that the source material that scott suggested was a nostalgic return to childhood your our own childhoods isn't speaking to the current population and generation so yeah um, yeah it's a shame that studios and everyone who has the money to invest in this don't see that because i'd say you've actually got a pretty good possibility of making a lot of money 
if that's what you want to do rather than just tell a good story. And who knows, maybe with uh, the whole COVID situation, dismantling a lot of these things completely, there might maybe. be more opportunities there for that to occur. So, and I hope though, because I'm, I don't want to see Matrix 4. I'd much rather see something new. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't exactly. really want to see Timothy Charlemagne play Willy Wonka. I don't I don't need it again. No. No. But you do want to see Timothy Chamelay in June, right? In what? In June. June. Yeah, well June hasn't been done oh, properly yeah. to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm very excited about June. Too. I I am <laughs> very I am it's palpable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh excitement for June. Anyway, that <laughs> aside. Dave, please, please talk to us about the Institute of Fantastical Inventions while we've got you here. Oh, very, very good. All right. Well, look, um, I mean, talking about Roald Dahl, like he was kind of in my mind when I was writing um, because I wanted to have a, a, a world-building um, idea. So the, the story is um, is is uh, a place where they can invent um, anything for you. So, if, um, so it's an institute of scientists and every scientist... Um, is working for you so to create your fan create something that make your fantasies come true um, and so I'm playing on the humor of um, science and how science can be taken to absurd levels so for instance if you go to this institute and you want to learn to surf um, they might be able to get you surfing on radio waves um, if you want to um, be warm all the time they'll grow fur all over your body um, you know you um, and, the, 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 and I have fun like someone who's like who's too clever um, and they, they don't have any friends anymore and the Institute will help you out there and they'll actually make you um, less intelligent so you'll actually be more popular. <laughs> so it's always got the satir satirical <laughs> edge. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, so I'm writing stories where they're, yeah, um, I'm having fun with science. I'm getting kids to think about um, how imagination and science um, interact. And there's always adventures in there, um, great illustrations. Um, Shane Ogilvie has uh, done the illustrations and he's kind of got a, a bit of a sort of a 60s black and white style. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just thought, can we create a world where um, scientists are kind of funny and cool and absurd? Um, and when um, I can sort of satirize um, stupidity um, for smart kids um, and have adventures along <laughs> the way. Um, and so that's what the books are about. Um, and fantastical is in the title because, um, as Jason was kind of alluding to, that is what is great about kids' literature is is creating a world in which we can bend reality, have it based in reality um, and based in an emotional reality, but um, bend the rules of the universe uh, and knowing kids can um, to suspend disbelief. Um, and so that's the kind of the pitch of this, the stories is um, making science sort of fantastical. Yeah, so... Um, I'd love to write a sequel if there's a publisher listening. Um, uh, but there's two books out there, um, and I think, look, there's, yeah, it's it's um they're great fun. They're 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 written for kids, you know, low, uh, you know, years five and six, seven and eight, that age group who um want something funny, um and smart. It's kind of it's pitched around that level. Um, so I say. You know, get your kids out there reading Australian literature and Australian kids literature. So there's there's so much great stuff out there, um, great contemporary authors out there. Yeah, oh, that's everything else to say. Available yeah. in good bookstores. I bought mine. Yeah, Dimmix. Yeah, go to, you know, Dimmix. Yeah, Dimmix has got them. Yeah. So um, yeah, get along there. <laughs> have, have a read. See what you think. 
Uh, my kids have fun spotting them when we go to the bookshops. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, and we're very grateful uh, that you joined us for these two episodes, Dave. Really, really appreciate your uh, your witticisms and your insight. Oh, I've had a, I've had great fun, and it's been um, it's been. I was almost like I was intimidated coming on here because, like you guys, know so many so many actors, so many films. Um, but I felt very welcome on here, and I felt in very good hands. Um. And as I was saying at the start, I really love this podcast. It's fun. Oh, it's good. It's so fun. You guys got such great insights, such great taste, and and a real generosity, I think, towards pop culture. Um, and I love seeing that. I love seeing um, and listening to you guys, just um, knowledgeable, but but just communicating your great joy in pop culture. Um, and I think that the pop the podcast is is really successful in that. So I've really enjoyed being on here today. So thanks for having me. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for saying so. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pop Culture. I have been Scott. I'm still Jason. I'm still Monica. And I'm Dave. Culture is produced by and recorded by Jason Eddy, Monica Porto, and Scott Souter. The clip for this week's show was from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and the song at the end was the theme from The NeverEnding Story. If you'd like to buy Dave Lee's books, The Institute of Fantastical Inventions, and its sequel, they are available at good bookstores and places like Dimmicks or Booktopia, and we thoroughly recommend you check them out. A huge thank you to Dave for joining us on this episode of Pop Culture. Uh, what a joy uh, it is to have Dave lend his knowledge and he's just so funny to listen to. So please, if you've enjoyed listening to Dave on this podcast, maybe check out his books. And if you've got kids, I thoroughly recommend checking them out. I've been reading book one to my son all week and he's absolutely adored it. If you wouldn't mind, I invite you to jump onto Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It helps us expand the show and reach new listeners. If you'd like to find us on social media, we're available at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash popculturepod, on Twitter at popcultureau, on Instagram, and we are also available on YouTube where you can watch video episodes of certain episodes. The uh, the more peeling onions, longer episodes I don't really put into video form, but you can certainly check out our reviews if you want to see our beautiful faces talking to each other. Thanks, guys, and we will catch you next week on Pop Culture. She made